Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, the title for today's episode, I'm pretty excited about it. Why do women smell like onions and men smell like cheese? Yes. I think that's a very intriguing title. We'll get to the exact reason why we named it that in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But uh, the general topic of the day is body odor. Yes. Um, and we've talked, we've talked about scent quite a bit on our podcast, mm -hmm. particularly um, scent of a, a particular gender and how we can be attracted or not attracted to a person's smell. And we heard from lots of you when we did that episode who, you know, it, it worked out. Everyone seemed to say, yes, my long-term boyfriend smells fantastic, but mm -hmm. I've broken up with guys that did not smell good at all. Mm -hmm. And it's all, and not just because they might have had body odor, but just because something about their scent smell was off. And science backs that up. There have been these tests where women have to smell men's undershirts. And the women tend to pick the men who have different genes than them. Mm -hmm. So scientists think that's a adaptation that helps us sniff out a good partner. Right. And they've also found that women are more um, sensitive to the scent of a man's body odor. Perhaps because they are charged with this sniffing out the, the right father for your children. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've talked about whether perfume and, and cologne can cover these things up, if we should just be walking around all natural. Um, and we've talked about different cultures that do that, mm -hmm. but we have never really covered why we spelled differently in the first place. Yeah. Body odor in general. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, maybe not the most, uh, appetizing topic, but you know, every... especially because so many, uh, food things are, I mean, smell things are related to food. Right. But everybody's got their own special body odors we'll get into later. But, um, since we talk a lot on the podcast about 
differences between men and women, lo and behold, body odor is yet another one of these aspects. There was a study in Switzerland that compared the chemical makeup of males and females sweat. And they found that women, or at least our armpits, had higher levels of a sulfur-containing compound than levels taken from armpit sweat (laughs) samples from men. And not just, you know, a little bit. It's a big difference. What they did was they had 24 men and 25 women. They either spent time in a sauna or rode an exercise bike for 15 minutes, then they take the sweat sample. Women have five milligrams per milliliter of, of sulfur in their sweat. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, especially when you consider that the men have 0.5 milligrams. Yeah. Five to 0.5. <laughs> we are sulfuric. Um, and here's where we're going to get to the title of the podcast. When you add bacteria to that's commonly found on the skin to that sulfuric sweat in women, it tends to smell like an onion. Or a grapefruit, weirdly. Mm -hmm. And when you add the bacteria to the men's sweat, it smells like cheese. So there you have it. (laughs) Krista and I are not eating cheese or onions anytime soon. We are, we are staying away from that. But we have to point out when this study came out, several researchers were like, I don't think that's gender. I think that maybe there's a little bit of gender that has to do with it, but you can't definitively say that that's that's a gender difference because so many other things can affect body odor. Right. Because there was a study that came out not too long ago that found that, um, while yes, the two genders tend to smell a little bit differently, whether or not it's onions versus cheese, maybe that's up for debate. But, um, even more than that, every single person smells a little bit differently. There's, um, there was a study that came out of the Monell chemical census center in Philadelphia that tried to alter, artificially alter the body odor, the scent of mice, and they weren't able to do it. They like even changed up their diets to see if uh, if that would affect their order and or their odor. I mean, um, and nothing, nothing would change it. Once they got down to the very basic scent. It was the same. And How so, that? yeah. And so they were, they were comparing it to, they were calling them odor prints, almost like fingerprints. They're yeah. so unique. They made it sound like at one point you'd be able to identify a person based on their scent. And I would just prefer to stick with fingerprints or dental records or whatever you're using now. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, unless, unless I'm wearing a perfume that just smells really great or something, I'm going to be kind of upset if people can be like, <laughs> smell conger. She's. <laughs> She's got to be around here somewhere. Because normally when you do smell someone that definitively, it's uh-huh. it's because it is unpleasant body odor as it's opposed that, to a very yeah. light and airy perfume. It's unpleasant body odor or, yeah, some kind of fragrance. So let's talk a little bit about just body odor in general. And I want to get into eccrine and apocrine glands, Kristen. Yes. Because we've talked before about how it's the bacteria on your skin eating your sweat that makes that smell of body odor. But it really depends what gland it's coming from. Right, because eccrine glands are all over your body, and they produce just basic sweat that we think of as mostly um, water and salt. It just comes out naturally. It cools our body. It's uh, controlled by your autonomic nervous system, just kicks in. And while women actually have more of these glands across their bodies than men, ours don't work quite as hard as theirs do, no. or more efficiently. 
I think that's a nice way to put it. I don't know if they know why women don't sweat as much as men, but yeah, that's, that's what we're called is the efficient sweaters. Yes. So good for us. Good for us. But everyone has these from babies to old people, but there are these apocrine glands and those kick in at puberty. Yes. And these secrete a fatty sweat. It's a thicker, it's not, it's not like the oil and salt. It's this thicker type of sweat that comes out, especially if you are under emotional stress. You'll have this physiological response to stress that causes these glands to contract and push out this, uh, this greasy sweat. It's <laughs> the most disgusting of. description for yeah, something like that happens naturally. Milky, fatty sweat that then feeds off of bacteria on your skin and releases odor. Yeah, so if you've ever had to give like a presentation, mm-hmm. if you've been nervous before like a wedding or something like that, you got to calm yourself down. You're yeah. going to kick those apocrine, apocrine glands into overdrive. And because, you know, they're fatty, they're sugary, those bacteria that are on your skin just love them. Yeah, they feed straight off of it. They just want to break them down, break them down, break them down. And that breakdown is what causes the odor. Mm-hmm. And also, unlike the eccrine glands that you're born with, like you said, even even babies have these glands. Everybody, everybody sweats to cool their bodies. But these other kind of glands, the, the fat sweat producing glands develop around puberty, which is why kids don't need to wear deodorant typically. It's not until along with all those other wonderful, awkward changes going along in your body during adolescence, you have the development of these specialized sweat glands that make you stink. (laughs) And so puberty is a big milestone. But one other interesting thing we found when we were researching body odor and some gender differences is that while both boys and girls go through puberty and have that moment where someone around them realizes that they need deodorant, Mm -hmm. women have more spots in their life in which obviously our hormones are going crazy and our body odor is going to change. Most notably, of course, pregnancy and menopause. And so I was trying to do a little more research on these two milestones to find out exactly what's going on with women's body odor, how it changes, why it's changing besides hormones. And I found a piece on WebMD that ruined one of my favorite foods for me because it was talking about how uh, a woman's body odor changes when she becomes pregnant. And a woman on who was interviewed by the WebMD writer called the particular scent change that had happened to her cheeseburger crotch yes and it while that is maybe the most disgusting um nickname for a medical condition i've ever heard uh it makes sense because these glands these african glands are concentrated around your armpits around your genitals on the bottoms of your feet Mm -hmm. all the places we think of as the smelliest yeah now, if you're interested, if you're pregnant, apparently, according to this lady who who termed the word cheeseburger or the, the phrase cheeseburger crotch, changing a panty liner frequently is a good way to get rid of it. And it's normal. They said, you know, you've got so much blood flowing throughout your body mm-hmm. because you got this baby inside you that that part of the uh, body is swelling mm-hmm. and all those hormones are causing it to emit more odor. I got, I wish you guys could see Kristen's face. Yeah, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a left turn right, right here as quickly as possible away from cheeseburger. But speaking of cheeseburgers and body odor, um, diet, diet. Yeah. Oh, that because, was a great segue, Kristen. I thought you'd like it <laughs> because while yes, changing hormone levels can certainly affect your body odor. There's this big idea of whether or not 
diet, what you eat can affect the way you smell because there was this study that came out from the Czech Republic that found that men who ate meat smelled worse or red meat specifically smelled worse than vegetarian men. And basically what, how they conducted the study was they had male meat eaters and male non-meat eaters come in over two weeks and the researchers collected samples of their natural body odors by using the, um, the underarm pads. They would wear these underarm pads around. And then once they had collected good strong sample of their natural body odors, they had 30 women Come in. <laughs> I wonder where they get participants I would for not these. Sign up for this one. They had 30 women come in to smell the pads and then rate the attractiveness of the odors. And apparently the vegetarian men were judged as quote, significantly more attractive, pleasant and less intense. I feel like we should do a podcast just called uh, studies we would not participate in. Yes. Cause that's. It's just not one I can do. Mm-mm. Um, so there's, there's this anecdotal evidence that what you eat affects your, your body odor. Though, um, in an article on our site by Stuff You Should Know, co-host Josh Clark, he does point out that sort of the medical science on it is, is scant. They really can't yeah. replicate this in many other studies. Right. They can establish correlation, but causation is still up in the air. But they, but like I said, there's anecdotal evidence. And obviously, if you've ever eaten garlic, and you're well aware that that can change how you smell. Mm-hmm. Not to mention onions, curries, mm-hmm. spicy food. But that might have more to do with the property of those foods rather than something weird going on in my apocrine glands. Because uh, onions and garlic, for instance, have really high levels of volatile organic compounds that will release specific odors, those strong odors, um, when they react in your body when they um, are digested. Yeah. One of these sort of another unproven theory is that it, it just isn't digested properly. It goes through really fast and thus it, it emanates from your skin. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, for something that affects a lot of people, but affects everyone differently, which I'm sure is the key obstacle, but there's a lot of unknowns about body odor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it could be diet. It could be your gender and what you're going through in terms of hormone levels. It could be stress. Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of factors. Now, Molly, we've been focusing a lot on our own personal body odor. Our odor types. Yes, our odor types and understanding our odor prints more and where they come from. But maybe the most awkward thing about body odor isn't necessarily your own, but how to deal with body odor around you. Are you trying to tell me something, Kristen? I'm trying to tell you, Molly, that maybe... No, no, I'm speaking... (laughs) Wouldn't it have been really funny if one of us had suggested this podcast as an elaborate ruse to tell the other that... You stink. And now I'm paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> but you came up with this podcast idea, I Kristen. Did. No, we both smell lovely and we spend a lot of time in this close, confined studio. So it would have come up before, I think. But how would I have brought it up? I, I got a document to help me because, like you said, it's got to be one of the most awkward things you can do. And if you if you do an Internet search on this, you find all these articles um, on HR websites of how a boss can tell an employee tactfully mm-hmm. That their odor is disturbing the office or um, actually affecting their productivity and, and performance at work. So these are the steps that this particular HR site recommends. And I'd be really excited to hear from our listeners if you've had experience trying to have this conversation, what worked, what didn't, because it's something we've all thought about having at some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. 
So first, you're supposed to schedule a time to visit with the employee to discuss a delicate situation. You're supposed to warn them that something... So get them on edge first and probably <laughs> put send their abogrimal glands into overdrive so they're especially stinky when they come exactly. in. Exactly. Um, and then you've got, once you've got them in your office, or I guess you could do it by email, but this this person's recommending in person, which that could, I don't know which way I'd go on send that. Them, just send them a text. You know, there are websites called like No Offense or anything where you can fill out a form and it'll just send an anonymous email to person. Oh, man. And again, that's one I'm going to have to open it up to the listeners. Does Uh that work or does it not? So once you've got them in your office, you've just got to cut to the chase. Don't dilly-dally around it. Say, I've got something tough to talk about. you got to be tactful and you've got to take into consideration their reasons like medical conditions or pregnancy or whatever that it could be causing these body odors. So Take their odor type into account. Yeah. So think of all the factors that might be going on and then just say, hey, you have a body odor problem that must be dealt with. That's a direct quote from this article. And but you, despite being direct, here's where it gets so tricky. You have to be sensitive, and it says break the news gently by saying you may not realize. So I guess so far the script is, you may not realize you have a body odor problem that needs to be dealt with. Now you're supposed to think you're supposed to do a little brainstorming with the smelly employee to say. Is it a medical thing? Like, should I give you a fan? Would you like mm-hmm. some more time to change your clothes? Like, mm-hmm. maybe we could bring an extra outfit throughout the day. I don't know if I'd want to do that much brainstorming after I'd been told that I had an odor problem. Yeah. I would probably just cry and storm out, mm-hmm. which gets us to a whole other podcast probably about crying in the workplace. <laughs> um, but, you know, they say once you've dealt with it, if, if the person does not, you know, fly right, it's time for some disciplinary action. Oh, man. Imagine that being fired for, for your body odor. So, you know, that's one of those things where you can read and read about all the ways people have dealt with it, but it's not going to really hit home until you've done it yourself. So if you've ever had this conversation with someone, write us. Yeah, tell us how to tell someone that their odor type is um, harming. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little too uh, too cheesy. Or oniony. Or oniony. Um, so there you have it. Body Odor 101. I think now um, in our Mom Stuff library, we have covered body odor up, down, and sideways. But, but if there's anything we missed, let us know that I'm, too. And I'm sure there is because it really is pretty fascinating when you start to dive into it. Get a it. sniff of it. Get a, There you go, Molly. Get a, get a whiff of all the, the uh, body odor research out there. So in the meantime, why don't we read a couple of listener mails? I have one here from Cass, and it's about the Chivalry Podcast. As a Midwesterner living in the South, Atlanta, in fact, where we are as well, I completely agree with your theory that the role of gender in common courtesy is peculiar to the American South. In the Midwest, people are very courteous, but with little regard for gender. It is not uncommon at all for a woman to hold the door for a man or that a man leave an elevator first. In my experience, at least, it is expected that the individual requesting a date, whether male or female, pay for the outing. I noticed this difference very markedly while attending university in Atlanta. I went on a date with a young man at my request, and he just automatically paid. He also opened the doors for me and all but refused to let me hold the second door. We went to a restaurant with the double doors Mm -hmm. that I advocated. He even pulled over and stopped, got out of the car, came over to my side, and rolled down my window when I asked if I could open the window. Needless to say, it was an extremely awkward date for both of us. I had many dates in college, but never quite got used to this form of chivalry. I am all for courtesy. I have offered my coat to chilly friends, both male and female. But the extreme gender inequality of it in the South just put me off. My two cents. There you go. 
All right. Well, I've got one here from Sarah, and this is about our podcast on celibacy. She says, I'm 19 and a virgin and had always known that I wanted to wait for the right guy to have sex with for the first time. For me, this would mean someone who I feel very comfortable around and have been with for a long time. I do often feel like I've, quote, missed the boat, seeing as how the vast majority of my friends lost their virginity by 15, and I always knew that I would wait until at least 17, but still hadn't found anyone I trust enough to even have a real relationship with. I guess I start feeling uncomfortable because I've always been a shy, self-conscious person. I do, however, firmly believe the idea that you don't have to have sex to be sexy. I enjoy wearing sexy clothes occasionally and even have had burlesque lessons and feel like this is a healthy way to express my sexuality. I feel that when I'm ready to be emotionally intimate with someone, then sex can be a physical expression of that and not just a way to satisfy a hormonal need. So thank you for sharing, Sarah. And of course, if you have thoughts to share, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can also check out our blog during the week. It's also called Stuff Mom Never Told You. And it's found at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.